on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. The great biographer James Boswell once asserted that Plutarch was the prince of the ancient biographers. Indeed, our conception of the heroic men of ancient Greece and Rome owes more to Plutarch than to any other writer or historian, perhaps more than all the others put together. Thanks to his carefully researched labors, we have access to intimate details about the careers, struggles, enmities, and passions of Caesar, Alexander, Demosthenes, Antony, Solon, Cato, Pericles, Cicero, and Lycurgus, and without them, the era would be a virtual blank. Interestingly, though Plutarch wrote prolifically on the lives of others, he left very little to indicate the course of his own. He threw the searchlight of understanding upon the achievements of others, but his own remained shrouded in conjecture. This much we do know. He was born just after the time of Christ in 46 AD in the small Greek province of Boeotia, the broad and fertile plateau northwest of Athens. He came from an ancient and renowned Thebian family and thus was given access to the finest educational opportunities. He enjoyed wide-ranging travels and studies in Athens, Corinth, Alexandria, and Ephesus. He later became a respected member of the Imperial Diplomatic Corps and made his mark as a wise and effective educator. In Rome, his reputation as a scholar earned him a number of influential contacts, friends, and opportunities. He served every emperor from the accession of Vespasian until his death in 126 during the reign of Hadrian. He was even granted an honorary consular rank. Despite all these cosmopolitan experiences, he never lost his deep affection for his hometown of Caeronia. Uh, though a loyal supporter of the empire, he remained a Greek patriot throughout his life. He was both a firm believer in and a committed practitioner of the ideals of the ancient city-state. Thus, he held a succession of magistrates in Caronia and nearby Delphi. His attachments at home were evidently reinforced by the sublime happiness of his marriage and family. It appears that his tender devotion to his wife, to Mexenia, and his five children defined his mission and focused his philosophical vision. It is this fact, the commitment of Plutarch to hearth and home, more than any other that illumines the work of Plutarch. His beloved homeland was a shell of its former self. Many Greeks had all but forgotten the glories that once attended their land. The heritage of his community and thus of his own progeny was 
very nearly lost. The splendor of the Roman Empire seemed to overshadow all that had come before, but Plutarch believed that the achievements of Rome were merely the extensions of those of Greece. His historical and literary work was aimed at showing the foundational role that Greek greatness played in the Roman ascendancy. In fact, he argued that there was direct continuity between the culture of Caesar and Brutus and Antony with that of Pericles, Alcibiades, and Alexander. The entire structure of his lives was aimed at demonstrating this. Thus was created the notion of the Greco-Roman culture. Perhaps more significantly, though, Plutarch's core thesis was that character was the most essential element in shaping culture. The parallel biographies alternating between famous Greeks and Romans take a character from the Golden Age like Pericles, Alcibiades, Lycurgus, Alexander, and Solon, and then compare them with one from the Splendorous Age like Cicero, Brutus, Cato, Antony, and Caesar. Plutarch's aim was primarily didactic, and so the lives abound with lessons about honor, valor, wisdom, temperance, and duty. It was a paean to moral paganism. It was the original book of virtues. Interestingly, the various profiles are notorious for their mixture of fact and fiction, history and myth, verity and gossip. Plutarch was a lover of tradition, and his prime concern was to both memorialize past glories and to reassert them as living ideals. Thus, whether an event actually occurred was of little consequence to him. What mattered was how the lessons from those events had passed into the cultural consciousness. When a story is so celebrated and is vouchsafed by so many authorities, he commented in his profile of Croesus, I cannot agree that it should be rejected because of the so-called rules of chronology. And again, in his biography of Theseus, he wrote, May I therefore succeed in purifying fable, making her submit to reason and take on the semblance of history. But where she obstinately disdains to make herself credible and refuses to admit any element of probability, I shall pray for kindly readers and such as receive with indulgence the tales of antiquity. Thus did Plutarch become the father of that modern branch of the teleological arts that we oddly call political science. And thus, did he forge the cardinal model for all succeeding disciplines of the divinities, such as sociology, psychology, history, and the social sciences. Indeed, the tenured place of moral philosophy in Western thought owes more to Plutarch than almost to any other single artisan, at least in form, if not in substance. 
It was the primary textbook of the Greek and Roman world for generations of students throughout Christendom. It was the historical source for many of Shakespeare's finest plays. It forever set the pattern for the biographical arts. It was the inspiration for many of the ideas of the American political pioneers, evidenced by liberal quotations in the articles, speeches, and sermons of Samuel Adams, Peyton Randolph, Patrick Henry, Samuel Davies, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, Henry Lee, John Jay, George Mason, Governor Morris, and Thomas Jefferson. Indeed, after the Bible, Plutarch's Lives was the most frequently referenced source during the founding era. For these, and a myriad of other reasons, Plutarch's Lives is one of the most vital and consequential of all the ancient classics. Alas, this seminal work seems to have passed out of educational and literary fashion. Once an indispensable part of every secondary and collegiate curriculum reprinted in innumerable inexpensive formats, it is now rarely read, rarely studied, and rarely reprinted. Is it any wonder why we moderns demonstrate such moral, political, and social substantivelessness when our thinking is utterly cut off from our culture's historical roots and our intellectual diets are limited to imbecilic contemporary kitsch, who can wonder why we show few proclivities toward discernment? If we are to comprehend the political discussions of the American founders, much less the vital discourses of the Protestant reformers, the social teachings of the medieval scholastics, and the cultural innovations of the Enlightenment pioneers, it is essential that we reincorporate Plutarch's important work into our educational canon so that we can take up the essential work of both resistance and Reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and resources, go to georgegrant.net or adoringgod.org.